0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I was speaking to um, uh, some friends. I went to their son's basketball game uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a good game. It was a tough game for their team, but they won, which was really cool. And this, uh, this guy is a really good player, uh, but maybe didn't have one of his best games. So uh, they win the game, and he goes back to the locker room and changes. And so I'm talking with mom and dad after the game, and they look at me, and it's like, ah, this was a rough game. It's going to be kind of a long ride home uh, tonight. And I totally get that because, like, I'm a super competitive person. And again, I if I could have done better, you know, I always want to be able to do my best. And so, so I totally sympathize with them. And um, and then the mom said something. She goes, "You know what?" She goes, "At this point, uh, if I, I just know my role in this whole situation," she goes, "When I get in the car, I don't say a word. I just want to go home." And I'm going to make him the best meal that I possibly can. And then all will be right with the world. And I looked at her and I said, mom, you are a very, very smart woman. Because as we know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I am no exception to this rule. My teenage son is no exception to this rule. And I know that my audience in here right now, uh, guys, you feel me on that. Um, so, uh, so I thought it'd be fun. Um, I want you to think about your favorite meal, okay? Take a minute. Everybody online, take a minute, uh, take a couple seconds. What's your favorite meal? And when I say on the count of three, I just want you to yell it back at me, okay? Can we do that as we kind of warm up here this morning? All right. So you got it in your head? On the count of three, I just want you to let me know your favorite meal, okay? Everybody. And if you're online, type it in the chat, okay? If you're online, type it in the chat. Here we go. One, two, three. Yes, that is very good. I agree. I agree. Us men are crazy about food. And let me just explain. I mean, obviously, this, this series is called Hungry, right? So obviously, this is the whole, the whole point here. Um, my wife, uh, she gets really annoyed um, with me. Uh, and again, I'm just going to put, I'm going to throw my son under the bus, Ryan, and put him in this whole category because I don't want him to be here by himself. Um, so I, I have a couple bad habits. So first of all, um, and again, maybe you'll feel me. Uh, I'm looking for something. I need something to eat, something that's going to satisfy me. And so I go to the refrigerator, and I open the refrigerator door. And I'm scanning up and down, and I'm looking. And I shut that door, and I open the freezer. And I scan up and down, and I'm looking around. No, shut that. I go out, and I open our pantry. I'm looking. I go back to the refrigerator. I open the door. And then, I, then it's at that point where my wife says, shut the refrigerator door. You already know what's in there. And it's true because I, this is probably like the third or fourth time of the day that I've already done this, right? You already know what's in there. So what do you keep looking for? And then I say this. I just, I'm looking for something Refreshing. And now my son says, I, "Mom, do you have something refreshing?" And so Sarah is like, "If you guys say that word "refreshing, one more time, I'm going to kill you. What does that even mean? You want something refreshing? You know what I'm saying? Like you go and you like nothing. you just don't know what you want. Like you open. you're just trying to find that perfect thing, that perfect thing that's going to satisfy and fulfill all of your hunger. Pangs or pains? That's another thing. I'm not really sure what the real word is there. Pangs? Pains? I don't know. So we're looking at this series called Hungry, and um, you know, we're trying to look at these um, encounters that Jesus has with people throughout the New Testament. And again, I'll get to that in a second. But here's the thing. Jesus knows, and Jesus knew what people needed or wanted even before they came to him. That's the truth. He knew exactly what they needed. And I think it is the exact same thing that we need today. Because again, people don't change. Times change, cultures change, whatever. But all of us are looking for something, and you, might have an idea, you may have an idea where I'm going with this. I think all of us are looking to be satisfied. All are looking to be fulfilled. All of us are looking for, the word we'll use is, happiness. Happiness. We want to be filled up with happiness. You know, when I talk to a parent, they say, you know what? What I really want for my kid is just for them to be happy, right? We say that and we mean that. And Jesus knew that we needed something uh, that would fill us. And so he came and he taught this verse. And, and Carrie mentioned it last week, and I put it on the screen. It's John 6:35. It says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And you might look at that verse. And you say, I have no idea what that means. And here's the thing. I think people at the time when Jesus said that didn't really know what Jesus meant. I'm the bread of life. I can satisfy your hunger and your thirst. That doesn't make sense to me. Although, after a period of time, at a certain point, it would become obvious to them what he meant when he said that. Because he actually was here now as a physical person, came from being God and with his father, God, in heaven, down to earth. Again, we celebrated this a couple months ago with with Christmas, right? He comes as a baby. He's living on here. And he is now physically in the flesh here to become the fulfillment and the satisfaction for their every need. And for ours as well. You see, um, so I talked about the Gospels. And so I would just step back and say the Bible, uh, if you're not familiar, is made up of two parts. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the first four books are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call those the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four books in the Bible that describe and talk about Jesus' life. So when he comes to earth as a human, it kind of describes from birth through death, through resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks. And that's where we know and understand things about Jesus' life, right? And the point of the Gospels was to describe what he did and and everything while he was here. So as man, they wanted to prove that he was actually fully human. But at the same time, he was fully God, right? And this is what we call, you may have heard this term, the deity of Christ. He's both fully God, and he's fully man. And so while he was fully man, this is what we find him doing. And I want to have another passage here that is just a lead-in to our point today. It's in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. So Jesus is born, he grows up. And then this is where we find Jesus as he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. The kingdom, very important phrase right there. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And news about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever the sickness or disease or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, which doesn't mean the same thing uh, today as it did then. Uh, that, that was more of like a struggle with mental illness. Okay, the actual translation was lunatic there. So, he, so he's, he's uh, healing people of their sicknesses and disease physically, or demon possession, or healing them of mental illnesses, or paralyzation, which is a wide range of handicapped. That's what that means. He healed them all. And check it out, large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. This guy, Jesus, was starting to stir up a massive following. The message he was bringing was very different and very unique from any other religious leader or political leader at the time. And people were curious And this multitude that was following Jesus was made up of all different kinds of people, just like in this room today. People with lots of money, people with a little bit of money, all different religious types, all different ethnic backgrounds, all different levels maybe in the power hierarchy of the time. It was all a whole bunch of different people, and we see that play out all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see all different types of people coming to Jesus. They were fascinated by him, and they were very curious. Again, just like so many of us in here. Some of you are here today, some of you are watching today, because you're curious about Jesus. You're curious about faith. You're curious about what God means to you, or if there's a God at all see, because I think, and one of the whole premises of this series, is that people are searching for something. They can't put their finger on it. They're opening the fridge, in the freezer, in the pantry, in their skin. I'm like, I just need that thing. I don't know exactly what it is, but I need to find that thing. We have that internal, like, struggle. And it reminds me of the song, which is what I titled my message after today. It's you 2s I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, right? Bono, actually, he, he calls this his gospel song with a restless spirit. And he talks about kind of his search and his journey, and we see it played out in the words of this song, who, which, as I understand, by the way, they almost gave up music because they wanted to do something that they felt would give them a bigger spiritual influence, so it's really fascinating to hear his story of his search for God. But these are some of, the, some of the words some of you people my age will know and some of you younger ones may or may not know. I have climbed highest mountains and I've run through the fields only to be with you. I've run and I've crawled and I've scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've kissed honey lips. I felt the feeling in her fingertips, and it burned like fire, this burning desire. I've spoke with the tongues of angels, and I've held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night, and I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one. And yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. Oh, my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Do you sense the angst in that? It's someone who's searching for something, searching for meaning, searching for happiness, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Just like those words we just sang. And so we have these large crowds following Jesus. And then we get to where I want to teach out of today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, and now Jesus saw these crowds and he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. I'm going to stop right here for a second as a quick side note. I learned something uh, this week as I was studying for this. So I'm looking at that passage, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. Jesus sat down. He was like one of them. He was so, like, relational and able to just really listen and hear. and, And I thought that was awesome. And by the way, he was all of those things, I believe. But actually... What I learned is in that culture at that time, when you sat down and were teaching, that was a sign of ultimate authority. The teachers were the ones to sit down and teach to people. And I found that fascinating. In other words, there was something about this man that when he spoke, people listened, and they paid attention. There was something Something he spoke with authority, the Bible says. Which, by the way, also, culturally speaking, and again, I I bring this up because sometimes we just we have to be very careful, careful about interpreting the Bible through our cultural lens. Okay? At that time the cultural lens was completely different. And so, you know, he's sitting down, and, and at the time, at that time, the Romans and the Greeks, they were the great. Philosophizers. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna say it anyway. Pastors make up words all the time, by the way. Right? (laughs) Right. They philosophized about everything. They wondered about this and they talked about this and that. And it was very ethereal and, and they were trying to get grab the meaning of life. And the word here for teach is very different. It's, it's the word where we get didactic from, which means it was very, in this setting, very factual. This is, very, this is something he wanted you to know. Here are the things. And he's about to go and speak in the following verses, which we'll look at in a second, his greatest message of all time. So he's sitting down with authority. The crowds are gathered around, and he's about to... To speak his greatest sermon ever, so I want you to think about that. If you were to tell someone your biggest, um, like your mission in life, where where would you start? Don't say it out loud. Just just you know, what would if you had one chance to speak to the world, what would it be? What would you say? Because I think what flows out of this, actually, over the next few chapters in the Bible, is some of the greatest. Um knowledge and concepts that we could pull out for ourselves spiritually. So I want to get into that. But here's one thing that we know before I do get into that. Because I said, I want you to notice that word kingdom of God. The reason why Jesus came to this earth was to speak of God's kingdom. what is God's kingdom? He knew he had to start with ground zero about all of this because what he was trying to do was understand, like, my kingdom is different. My values are different. Our currency is different. And ultimately, what you are faithful to is different in God's kingdom versus the kingdom we are building for ourselves or that we're living in earthly kingdom at that time. And so Jesus was not only teaching them here, but ultimately with his life, he would show them what the kingdom of God was all about. And so he had to go right back to the beginning. What did he want people to know? His first big sermon. And he was about to tell them how they can be filled, how they can be satisfied, how they can actually achieve happiness. The word in a lot of translations that you'll see over the next several verses is the word blessed or blessed. That word in the Greek is makarios, which means happy, fortunate, blissful, successful, wealthy. And uh, it became known as, again, maybe a term you've heard, the Beatitudes, because that was actually the Latin word for happy. And so Jesus goes, and he's about to speak this big, long message about what it was that was going to make you happy and satisfied and fulfilled in life. And so just like we are, hopefully, we're leaning in and saying, what are you going to say, Jesus? Because this is fascinating. By the way, one last thing before I read those verses. There are people in that crowd that already were like, oh man, he's legit. There is something. He, he, he's God. There are people in the middle like, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. I'm fascinated. I'm not sure. And there are other people who are like, mm-mm. This guy's a fake. This guy's a lunatic. So it's very interesting, the crowd he begins to speak to. So as we read this, if you, are looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness, and Jesus says he offers it somehow, then the natural question is, how do I get that? Where do I go from here? So let's read it together, and we'll get into it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed, or happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who were before you? What in the world? What in the world? See, because again, I don't think our responses are any different. It's like, first of all, either like, I'm not even sure exactly what you're saying, but if you're saying what I think you're saying, this makes no sense. And they're right. If you're thinking about, the world's economy. But in God's economy, which operates completely different, we begin to dig in and say, oh, I see it now. I get it now. Because you look at this, and I don't have time to go through all of these things, and I'm not going to today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. How in the world does that lead to happiness, fulfillment, and joy, and satisfaction? So I'm going to try my best to kind of summarize what I think Jesus was saying. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this has nothing to do with finances. And I think this is really important. You have to start here, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, if you come to me and you realize that you are spiritually destitute, that's where you need to start in order to gain ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in life through me. That word um, poor literally means like to cringe, to crouch, to like cover your face. It was used for like a beggar in that time who, would, who was ashamed and he would hold out their hand, right? He says, If you come to me like that, if you come to God the Father and Jesus like that, knowing that you have nothing. To offer me. You've finally gotten to the point where you say, I don't know what else to do. I am out of options. That's when God begins to be able to do something in you that will ultimately bring full fulfillment. In other words, we have to bow low to be lifted up into God's kingdom. In other words, we have to become spiritually dead in order to become alive in Christ. In other words, if we're looking for fulfillment from that deep hunger, that satisfaction inside of all of us, we cannot be filled up until we fully empty ourselves out. We have to get rid of our pride. That's what he means by the poor in spirit. And that's where we need to start today. When you get that, some, some uh, theologians, scholars would say, all of these kind of build on each other, all the way through all the Beatitudes. I think there are eight or nine of them. But it starts with becoming and realizing that you are spiritually destitute. That there is nothing on your own that you can do and yet, as humans, and again, it's same as true today as it was back then. We're just trying to do, do, do. Or get to this point by working hard, whatever it might be. And Jesus says, no, 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 stop. When you get to the point where you realize that life is not about you and anything that you can do, that's exactly where you need to be. And ultimately, when you get to that point, that is what's going to bring ultimate spiritual fulfillment, happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Blessed are those who mourn. That seems totally ridiculous and unreasonable. How can you even be happy or fulfilled when you mourn? I mean, listen, we are so conditioned that we become happy when things are going just right. And yet, Jesus is warning that not only is that not true, it's going to happen to everybody weeping and mourning and sadness and despair. But there's something that God does. When we come to him, poor in spirit, and saying, God, I have nothing left. He goes, you know what? I could help with that. I could comfort you in ways that you never even imagined. Blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. And I love that word meek because it's, it's just a powerful image for me. But it's like, it's, it's not weakness. It's actually restrained Strength. In fact, one of the ideas here is that of a, um, like a horse that's being broken by its trainer. There's this great strength. This horse could kick you and kill you in a second. But when he's broken, he becomes restrained. He goes, that's kind of how I want you to live in this world. Someone who has the power of Jesus in, inside of you, but you, you are meek about it. You're restraining that for the good of others. You're gentle. When you submit your power and you submit in humility to those around you, there's something great of strength about that. And it's weird because you begin to see fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. And then there's this verse that could have been our title verse for the whole series. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are going to be filled. They're going to be satisfied. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, ever been in a state of starvation. Never. And my guess is most of us, if not all of us, have never been in that state where we become desperate, right? Now, I'm sure you've seen the stories in the movies and you've heard that whatever, how desperate people will actually, the great lengths people will go to when they become desperate. And that's kind of how Jesus is saying, this is what you need to, this is how you need to live your life, that you realize that you need God, you need me, you need the Spirit in every single situation, just to stay alive. And when we do that, our deepest needs and wants are satisfied. He says, "Blessed are the merciful they're going to show mercy." Jesus is saying, "In my kingdom, mercy wins. Mercy wins. Why? Because the heart after God, is a heart of mercy. We're showing mercy when we, uh, we're showing the character of God when we extend mercy and grace to others around us. Blessed are the peacemakers. I love what John MacArthur says, he says, when self is first, peace is last. And then I, I like what he says. He says, peacemakers disrupt and disturb in Jesus' name. It's not that you never say, but when you, you know when to say the right thing and you become an instrument of peace. Finally, he goes, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted because of your righteousness, because you've realized your destitution. Because if we, let, we live in the way of God's kingdom, in God's kingdom way, again, separate from our way, separate from the world's way, We will come up against hostility. Actually, Peter talks about that in another passage about it. He said, expect the trials, the temptations, and the persecutions to come. Expect it. But our joy and fulfillment comes in the fact that the king of heaven and earth ultimately wins. And as citizens, we will share in the kingdom of heaven. And that's huge because God is saying here, Jesus is saying, he gladly shares his kingdom with those of us who come to him in spiritual destitution in his name so as I wrap up I, I realize this is maybe a little bit of, uh, weird for you it's, like it's not computing, it's like I don't understand like kingdom stuff what, is that, what does that even mean but here's what I also know Most of you are dissatisfied with anything else that you found up to this point. Your money hasn't made you happier. Your promotion hasn't made you happier. Traveling the world hasn't made you happier. Your spouse and your kids haven't made you happier. Even all that charity work that you've done and all that giving back, something, it hasn't made you happier. You're still spiritually hungry. You still feel unsatisfied. You're still longing for something. And why is that? And it's because of this. I think what Jesus is saying and what I think we're pulling out of here is you cannot be in control of your own kingdom. You have to be And you have to give God that control. And so this message is for those of you, for those of us, who are searching and still haven't found what you're looking for. And my question to you would be, where are you looking? What doors do you keep opening and scanning and searching for to find the thing that satisfies, to find the thing that's refreshing, but this message is also for those of us who have made Jesus the Lord of our lives, and are going right back out there and trying to find happiness in the way of the world, and the kingdom of the world. And the Bible's pretty clear, like, we can't serve two kingdoms. We can't do it. So, so my heart here, this is message of hope. This is a message of hope, because here's what I believe, and here's the bottom line: God knows what you need. Just like that mom that I talked about in the beginning. She knew exactly what was going to help her son in great ways so much greater. God knows your heart. And he knows exactly what you need. And for me, that is a message of hope for all of us. And so as you're on your journey, wherever you are, um... It's gonna take us a lifetime to figure that out. How does it look in God's kingdom versus mine, (laughs) or how does it look in God's kingdom versus what the world tells me is the right way? And I'm just saying, when I look at the world and when I see a crowd like this, we're here because we know we need something more. And our friends and our family, we need something more. Where are we gonna find it? What doors are we looking at? For me personally. I found the words of Jesus to be true. I've been following him for a long time now. And even from my own personal experience, I found it to be true that nothing satisfies like Jesus. Um, Sometimes, you know, you plan for a message and you plan for a sermon. um, And other times, God gives you one, right? And I feel like this week was one of the times God gave me one. Because the way my week went, I barely had time to plan a sermon. And then I realized at a certain point, I'm like, oh, I am trying to control it all. And I need to step back and say, okay, God, how am I going to learn through this? And so maybe that resonates with you today. And I hope it does. And so I want us to bow our heads. I want us to close our eyes. I want us to pray that to him in our own words. Lord Jesus, you have come in human flesh. At the same time, you are fully God and we trust you. God, for those of us who are still searching and we can't find what we're looking for, Lord, maybe this is the time and this is the moment and this is the day to kind of hit that pause button and step back and say, oh, I was trying to do it on my own. I was trying to follow the prescription that I hear all the time in the culture and the world around me. Instead of going to God's prescription, which is like flips everything right on its head. You want to be first, then be last. And so, Lord, I pray that in our journey, where we are right now, that you would give us increased understanding over time that without you we are nothing, that we are spiritually destitute and that we need you as as our Savior, and that we have the promise not only of heaven, but of your kingdom come here on this earth. And Lord, the one thing I didn't mention that I'll say in this prayer is right after he says that, he talks about being salt and light, which means that when we live that way, this countercultural way, and we find that true satisfaction and happiness in you, God, people see that, and it adds value to their life. It gives clarity to their next steps. And so I pray that we would be a church that lives that out, in humility, and that we would be light and salt to the world around us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.